Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro, and we're in for another fun-filled adventure together here as we discuss what's going on in the world, some things that we're going to try and learn a little bit today. I'm going to try and offer some things that hopefully can, can give some information about some things that are in the news. We'll talk about a little political things, and we'll, maybe we'll talk about some, some cultural things going on as well. So we'll get started. The President of the United States is going to give uh, the yearly speech to the nation known as the um, State of the Union. Now, this is an important thing for a president to do. They're supposed to tell us where, where do we stand right now when they give the speech as a nation, as a country. Are we strong? Are we weak? Are we politically uh, savvy? Are we in the middle of uh, problems with the rest of the world? Are we looking at war? Are we looking at ending war? You know, all those kind of things so that we can kind of plan our lives around where the country is going, what's going on. So do you, does it matter what the president says? Well, we know that very often the, the bully pulpit is used for a president to tout their accomplishments, which is legitimate. If you've done good things and, and you've made things happen and people are happy with what you're doing, that's a great opportunity to let your country know, hey, these are the policies says I was going to put, put forth. I put them forth. And guess what? Things are great. Uh, remember Ronald Reagan, the great Rinaldus Magnus? Uh, as Uncle Rush used to call him, and he would say, uh, you know, our economy needs to turn around, we're going to do these, and they did them, and when the economy turned around, it came roaring back, and he took credit for that, and he should. Uh, just like, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, you know, and then eventually the wall did come down because of the things that uh, he set up, and George Bush the first, the elder, uh, had the opportunity to then be president when the wall actually came down, but that was started by Reagan. The point being, these... These national addresses are a great opportunity for us to hear directly from the president on, on what he or she plans to do. So we have one coming up with Joe Biden. Now, does, does the things that he's going to say, do they, are they going to change anyone's life? Do they matter? Well, I, I guess we have to look at it and say, if you, if you don't mind 7, 8, 9, 10% inflation on your stuff. Now, what do they say now? A dozen eggs is almost $7. Uh, we used to be $1.50, $2. Now they're $7. Everything else has gone up. Gasoline is up to three fifty. dollars uh, I was in California recently, $4 and something cents a gallon out there for all you people in California suffering with that price. We see the supply train is a train wreck, which I'll tell you a little story about that. That affected me personally, actually. But what other good things is he going to say? Well, the borders are really secure and our nation is secure. Well, he can't say that. But the people that he's going to address, that he's going to tout his, his accomplishments uh, for the last two years, are all going to applaud a wide open border with 5 million illegal immigrants entering the United States, uh, being brought across the border, given all kinds of resources, and then shipped out to different cities across the United States. We don't really know who they are. They're not vetted. They've, ne they've never been given a COVID test. Uh, so who knows what they're spreading. There's other diseases that in other countries people are not vaccinated for like they are in the United States. And now we're seeing that those diseases are popping up in different cities. 
And they're, they're brought here by people who are not vaccinated against them. Polio all of a sudden is rearing its ugly head. We saw measles coming back, uh, mumps uh, out of nowhere, these things came back. And this is why other populations in the world are not vaccinated against these things like, like we do here in the United States. And therefore, while it was mostly wiped out here, you bring in millions of people who are not uh, covered by the same kind of health care that we all grew up with. You know, when you went to school, you got all these shots so that you didn't have these problems. And now they're bringing it back to an unsuspecting population. Now, that could be good or bad. Uh, President Biden's going to say it's good. It's a good thing. That's a good thing. Uh, the people that, that follow him and drink the Kool-Aid, they're going to say it's a good thing. That's a good thing. Everything he's doing is good. The border is open. It's fair now. You know, this is, this is the, the thing that they talk about. They, they're going to talk about how humane their policy is at the border. It's humane to let people who want to come here just come across the border. You're not stopping them. You're not, uh, you're not keeping them uh, under lock and key. You're not trying to figure out who they are. You're not sending them back to places they don't want to be. That's not humane. You're not separating families. That's not humane. What's humane is just let everybody pour in. Now, that's their opinion. That's what they think. I don't think that's humane. When you know what goes goes into that of them getting here, they don't just wake up and take a little walk, a little stroll, and then, oh, here's the border of the United States. Let's, uh, let's go on over into the United States and have a better life. That's not how it works. They have to pay uh, a coyote. They have to pay somebody in a cartel. Uh, they have to pay money to the cartel, $5,000 sometimes per person, to be moved along so that they don't get killed by the cartel. Now, that doesn't mean they're not sexually assaulted by the cartel. That's, you know, that's a given. If the cartel wants to have sex with you or your children or your wife, uh, they're going to do it. And that's part of the tax that you pay along with your $5,000 to get here. So is that humane? To have people walking hundreds of miles with children, having them stay uh, along the way where they can be brutalized, victimized, so they can come across the border and, and, and pay this enormous amount of money to come here? Is that humane? I would say it is not humane. Um, that seems to me that's, that's a horrific thing to have to go through to try and live in a place. You're, you're not under a death threat at home. You're not uh, in the middle of a war where you're going to die or be killed. But the reality is um, there's, there's problems in your homeland and people don't like it. They want a better life. I, how many times have I said I understand why they want to come here? doesn't mean it's humane for American citizens to now have to... Uh, have, have schools that are overrun with people, that they don't have enough teachers, they don't have enough resources. Law enforcement is, is overrun. Uh, the, look at the cities like New York, which is a, uh, what do they call it, a sanctuary city. They t we love our immigrants. They can come here until they actually come. And then they don't want them there because they can't afford uh, to take care of everyone like that. It's easy to say it when it's somebody else that has to deal with it. But when it's you, it's a, it's a NIMBY, right? Not in my backyard, uh, we're a sanctuary city in voice only. We don't really mean it. You know, we can't really take people. We don't have the money for it. Is that humane? Well, that's one of the things that we talk about. So the president is going to do his um, State of the Union, and he's going to tell us how uh, gas prices, that he brought them down. He's not going to tell you that he depleted our oil reserves that, you know, uh, I think Trump bought at $20 a barrel, and now we have to replace at 70 or $80 a barrel. Uh, and he let that oil out into the, President Biden let that oil out into the market. So it would artificially stabilize gasoline prices, because if it was 6 and $7 a gallon, people would probably be even more upset than they are. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, 335, 345, 350, that's a lot of money for a gallon of gasoline. 
You know, you've got to keep putting that gasoline in there. You don't really get anything out of it other than you get to drive around. Uh, which, okay, mobility is one thing, but when we, when we could do it for $2 a gallon, why are we almost doubling that? We're, we're, we're accepting it. We're accepting it. We're accepting it because of policy. So they're going to tell you that that's a good thing. President Biden's going to tell you the open border is a good thing because it's humane. And they're fixing a system that was wrecked by the previous guy. You know, the guy who didn't let 5 million people pour over the border uh, and, and come into our, our towns and cities unregulated, right? Uh, unvetted, so we don't know who's here. I think they said, I heard the other day, since October, since October of 2022, there are over 300,000 getaways. These are people that didn't turn themselves into Border Patrol. They didn't get the Obama phone. They didn't get the, the benefits. They just took off and ran so that they didn't get caught, so they wouldn't be identified. Who would those 300,000 people be? I guess they didn't want a phone. They didn't want a hotel. They didn't want to get a free airline ticket somewhere. Why would they just take off and go into the country? I don't know, but he's going to tell you it's great. And if you don't agree that it's great, you're probably going to get called a racist, that you just hate people that are not white, which is the furthest thing from the truth. doesn't matter who's coming here. Uh, they have to come for a reason. They have to come to bring value to the country. They have to come uh, so that they add something to our lives. We're not just an open book. You can't just come walking in the door because you want to, unfortunately. That's not how life works. But they're going to tell you that's the greatest thing in the world. Um, we're we're going to find out that um, we're spending billions and billion dollars on green. Everything's green, 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 except it's not really that green. Uh, you know, electric cars. Everyone should have an electric car. Well, that's wonderful. If you don't have to drive more than 300 miles at a clip. Now, I don't know about you, but I travel all over the country. And sometimes, instead of flying, I will drive. You know, because there's not always an airport near where I need, have to go. And it could be 500 miles, 600 miles. That means that's not a one-day trip, which I could do 500 miles in a day. But I can't in an electric car. I have to pull over and stop for a night, for an evening to recharge that car, right? So that's an added expense of hotel, food, and continuing. So they're going to tell you that's great, but they're also fifty dollars and $60,000. Now, I know a lot of people that can't afford a $10,000 car, and how they're going to get a $60,000 car to get to their $15 an hour job. I don't know. doesn't seem appropriate. But this is what we're going to hear from our president, and we should listen with an open mind. We should hear what he has to say. Uh, remember, it's about policy. We want to understand what his policies are going to be and what he's going to do so that we can move forward as a country uh, and have a, a, have a great life, all of us, each and every single citizen. Now, he's probably not going to mention uh, the connection he has to China, to the Chinese government, communist government. Uh, he's not going to mention the millions of dollars him and his son have gotten from the Chinese government. He's not going to talk about that. He's not going to talk about why he will not go against the Chinese. He will not talk about that. He will not say why he's sending billions and billions and billions of dollars to uh, Ukraine and not pushing to either help end the war or to do the negotiations. Because, you know, Ukraine, he got a lot of money from Ukraine too. So maybe if he, if he complains too much about it or doesn't send them money, maybe President Zelensky might let a file slip or say something about previous dealings that President Biden or his son Hunter may have had. I don't know that to be true, uh, but doesn't it seem like that might be the case with the Chinese and with the Ukrainians? I think it does. I think somebody needs to probably look into that because no matter who the president is, if they're involved getting money from foreign governments, 
uh, then they are compromised. And if they're compromised, uh, we can't have that. It's dangerous for you and me, the American people, no matter what side of the aisle you sit on. We cannot have compromised people because they get money from certain people, and therefore they don't do what they need to do to protect us and ensure that our lives are great. So I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say. I'm sure I'm going to disagree with most of it, and I, I'm going to say I'm going to keep an open mind. I'm just guessing that since I disagree with most of his policies, I'm going to disagree with what he has to say. Now, we also know, uh, just because the, the, the modern mainstream media will not report to you, uh, the lies that President Biden tells each and every day, and he does tell lots and lots of lies, uh, things that are that are provable. They're easily provable. Like, do you really believe that in all these years that his son Hunter was flying on Air Force Two, going with him to China and all these other places, that they never once talked about what he was doing there? Okay, son, I'll give you a flight to China. Good luck. You're not going to ask your son? Gee, why do you want to go on Air Force Two and go to China? What are you going to do while you're there? Who are you going to talk to? I'm president of the United States. I should probably know that. I should probably know who you're talking to, who you're dealing with. Right? No, he's not going to bring that stuff up. Uh, nobody in the press will ask a question about it. But we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Now, what I am interested to hear is going to be the response, the uh, Republican response. Because I think the person that uh, Speaker McCarthy has chosen as the person to do the response, uh, is none other than Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the first female governor of Arkansas. Uh, I found her to be an intelligent, uh, interesting person. I think she is a really decent human being. I found her personally likable. Uh, and, and most of that comes from the fact that she seems, she seems kind of normal, and she believes in the things that I believe in. She's a traditional kind of a person. She has a faith. Uh, she has family. She, she doesn't believe in all kinds of crazy, you know, uh, political things. She, she's not a socialist. So I find her easy to listen to. It's going to be interesting to see her do the uh, rebuttal to the president, not only because of who she is as, as an interesting person, but because she's got a very powerful voice. And I don't mean loud. I mean, she's got a powerful voice. Uh, her intellect is going to shine. I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. I don't know. Maybe, she, maybe she'll fall on her face and maybe she'll say stupid things too. Um, I don't imagine that from her, having heard her on the campaign trail, having heard her when she was a presidential spokesman, spokesperson. Um, so I'm looking forward to that response. That should be very interesting to see how that response goes. All right, so other things that we got going on out there. I see uh, Elon Omar, representative. I believe she's from Minnesota. Uh, she has been accused of anti-Semitism. She has said some uh, some nasty things about Israel. She's talked about Israel in a very negative way. Now, that doesn't mean you can't talk about the government of Israel and disagree with things that they do. Of course you can. Just like we can agree with the Russians or the Chinese or the, the Hungarians or the Italians. We can, we can disagree with them, with policy and what they're doing as a government uh, or as a nation. But she attacks the Jewish people. You know, she's very, very uh, pro-Palestinian, uh, um, which is okay. People are pro-Palestinian. You know, they have a point of view. Uh, we just got to be honest about the points of view, about what goes on and, and, and what goes on in the world for real, what is justified and what's not justified. Uh, protest, as I've said often here, in any of its forms, um, is legitimate. I believe that legitimate protest uh, around the world and free speech is important. So you have to look and say... Um, is she voicing her opinion? She has every right to her opinion. 
She has every right to be wrong as well. She has every right to be anti-Semitic, which is not acceptable. You can disagree with the government of Israel, but to be anti-Semitic, to use tropes, which uh, she says, I didn't even know there were tropes about the Jewish people and money. I didn't know that. How does she not know that? She's an intelligent woman. Uh, she's just playing to her base. Uh, and she is very, very negative towards Israel. And therefore, she has shown that having her on the, uh, on the, re the National Relations uh, Committee, the Foreign Relations Committee, is not appropriate when she has thoughts in her head about some of our allies like that. Disagree? Fine. But attack them the way she did anti-Semitic attacks is not appropriate. And what's interesting is that that had to go through the Congress. They had a vote, and they voted um, probably along party lines to agree and to throw her out. So she's not on that committee anymore. She'll be on a different committee. Maybe she'll be on the Toe Jam Committee or something or other where she can uh, you know, make her opinion and, and do whatever good she can there. But she shouldn't be on foreign relations. Just like we know, uh, Fetterman and Sw Fetterman, uh, Swalwell and uh, you know Schiff, Adam Schiff, uh, should not be on the Intelligence Committee. They leak, they lie, they twist things, and they shouldn't be on that committee. So they're off there too, and that's a good thing. So we've cleaned up those committees a little bit. I will say that if the Republicans that are on there did the same things, I'd say they should be thrown off. Okay, so there you go. But interesting, Ilan Omar is out. I did find uh, interesting. Um, let me see where it is in my pages of outrageous here. Let's see. Uh, okay, so they had a, a vote. The, the Congress, uh, the new Congress brought up a proclamation where they wanted to say, hey, let's, let's vote to condemn the horrors of socialism. Now, you can have opinions that socialism is okay. You can have opinions that it's, it's a good form of government. You'd be wrong in my opinion, but you could have those opinions. But there have been horrors with socialist governments because socialism leads to communism and communism leads to death uh, because that's what happens to people under communism uh, and heavy socialism. So Congress decides to have this vote. And I think it was brought up by Steve Scalise. I could, I could be getting that wrong, uh, but I, I know it was brought up and they were going to have a vote to condemn, right, to condemn the horrors of socialism. Now you would think that our Congress, the United States of America, a, a, a democratic republic, freedom and liberty, free speech, all our rights, everything, you would think every one of those Congress people would jump in and say, of course we condemn the horrors of socialism. That's terrible. We're, we're against that. We believe in capitalism and free speech and, and all the things we love here in America. We would think that that is what every one of them would vote for. Well, guess what? Surprise, surprise. It didn't actually go that way. How did it go? Well, let's take a look. Uh, let's see. The Democrat vote. The Democrat vote of all the members of the uh, House of Representatives that are Democratic, that are there, voted 109 uh, to vote with the proclamation that they're against the horrors of socialism. But 86 of them voted no. They're not against the horrors of socialism. Now, maybe they didn't like the way the question was. Maybe they think it was a biased question. The bottom line is you go with what's in front of you, and the question is we're voting against the horrors of socialism. You're either for the horrors of socialism or you're against it. And 86 Democratic members voted they're against that statement, which means they're not opposed to the horrors of socialism. Maybe they don't see the horrors of socialism. And 14 members voted present 
which means they didn't want to give their opinion. They didn't want to go on record as saying that they're against socialism. And it's an, Why would that be? I'm against socialism. I don't think it's a good form of government. I think it's dangerous for your freedoms, no matter what side of the aisle on. You know, one of the first things they would do if they took over is they would have a, con a, a, a constitutional convention. And they would vote to change the Constitution and say, the Constitution don't count no more. Free speech is only approved free speech. Uh, Second Amendment, you can only have uh, guns to hunt birds. That's it. You don't need any other weapons. Uh, your right to assemble would be limited to assembling for when the government says you should assemble. Uh, and you go down the line. It would be horrific. And that's why I'm against it, because I've seen it happen over and over and over again. But can you imagine that there be members of the United States, not just one or two, 86 that would not vote against the horrors of communism. I can't believe it. I'm, I'm actually shocked by that. But let's see, let's put that together with um, the reality that we saw some polls taken that people who are under 30 years old, 65% of them, and that, I, hope, I hope I didn't get that number wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what it 65% of them, or at least it's a majority. The number 65 is in my head. A majority of these young people under 30 think that socialism is not just a an okay way to be. It's actually a better way to be. It's better than the American system. And you realize that before you know it, uh, many of the patriots and the traditional uh, constitutionalists that are out here, we're going we're gonna to age out. We're going to be gone. And all those young people, that majority is going to take over. And they're probably going to vote in a socialist government. And that's where, uh, you know, the other day I had the boys from the neighborhood on in a previous episode, and we were talking, and uh, I always like that saying, you can, you can vote your way into socialism, but you have to shoot your way out. That's absolutely true. Once they take over, they take power, they lock it all down, uh, and then your freedoms are gone. And that's what people seem to think is a better way to go. And that's what apparently 86 of our House of Representatives uh, for this United States of America don't want to condemn the horrors of socialism. Uh, have you asked your congressperson? You know what? Maybe you're one of those people. Maybe you're sitting down there in your basement in your underwear taking notes about Lieutenant Joe, and you wouldn't vote against the horrors of, of socialism. Maybe you think that that's a good thing. I don't think it's a good thing, and I find that shocking and sad for our country. Where are we going? Where are we going uh, as a nation? I wonder if the president will bring that up in his, uh, in his State, of the, State of the Union conversation. Right, so uh, I thought that was that was kind of crazy. Now, another thing that came up here, I found this interesting. Uh, remember when we heard about banning gas stoves, natural gas stoves? Now, natural gas is used uh, a lot in the Northeast. And the rest of the country uses propane, natural gas, propane, that kind of stuff. But they say it, they're going to they're going to ban gas stoves going forward because it's uh, it's an indoor air quality issue. And you know what? There might be something to that, but. I've lived in houses my entire life with gas stoves, gas, gas heaters, gas uh, boilers, you, you name it. Gas, gas, gas. It's, uh, it's, it's inexpensive, plentiful, uh, and it doesn't pollute. And, and it's not as much as, say, fossil fuels like uh, oil and diesel fuel and that. I've, always, I've never had a problem. I, you know, I've heard about people when their system doesn't work, they can be overcome by fumes and killed. Thank God it doesn't happen very often, but it can. Uh, you know, you hear about a house blowing up once in a while because there's a gas leak. Yeah, that's true. But I also hear when a house is all electric and there's a short, the house will burn down. 
So there's no safe way to do some of the things that we do. But to ban a stove, a very efficient form of cooking, and that leaked out that they were going to do that, especially in California. No new houses after 2035, I think is the date. No new houses after 2035 will be allowed to have a gas line that would be used for cooking and this, that, and the other thing, and heating. Now, what if the people there want gas? Shouldn't they have the right to choose? Who's, who's deciding that this is good for you or not good for you? And you know what? You might be too stupid to understand that it's not good for you, so therefore we're just going to ban it and tell you you can't have it. Is that what you want? Is that where this is all going? We're going we're gonna to give up everything and let people who think they know better than you, they'll make the decisions for you. They'll just send you a check, tell you what you can and can't do, what you can and can't say, where you can and can't go, what you can and can't cook on and heat your house with. They'll make all those decisions for you. That You don't need to worry about that. You just need to, you know, shut up and sit down and do what you're told. Is that where you want to go? Because that's kind of where you're going. That's where this is all headed. And that's why this is important that we pay attention and listen to what our leaders say, all right? So banning these stoves, they, and then when the word came out that they were thinking of banning the gas stoves, we heard, no, no, we're not. We're not doing that. We're not. That's ridiculous. That's that's propaganda. That's that's a, a fake news. We never. That's right wing to, to say we. That's right. Well, it turns out uh, that in October, October 2025, October 25th, 2022, there was actually a memo uh, from Richard Trumpka Jr., who was selected by President Biden to oversee these kind of things. And he sent this memo where he was agreeing that, uh, yeah, we should probably get rid of this stuff. We should probably get rid of gas. It's becoming a real serious problem, and therefore we should attack it. Now, that's one of the number one areas of uh, energy efficiency and plentiful energy that we have in the United States to move our economy forward. Well, they want to get rid of that and fossil fuels. How's that working out for you? How's that working out for you? Really good, right? Paying $4, $5 a gallon gasoline. Then you'll have no gas in your house. All you could do is use an electric car that you can't afford, right? These are the things that are starting to happen. It's getting wacky. So we covered a lot here in our opening uh, system, our opening episode here. I, I really like that we went through these. Now I'm going to go back here and look again. Let me see. We talked about the socialists. Can you believe that people are voting? They, they would not vote against the horrors of socialism. I don't know what's going on in people's minds. Um, but anyway, that happened. So I'm going to tell you something interesting uh, about Healthy Cell, the Healthy Cell products. And the reason I'm telling you this is probably, I don't know, last week, in the middle of the week, I started to notice that all of a sudden I, I, I didn't feel very well. I, I had like some chills or something starting. I woke up in the morning and I felt tired. My head was achy and I said, uh-oh, feels like a sinus infection coming on. Well, I was kind of surprised because I haven't had one in a long time. And I said, uh-oh, let me get to my healthy cell. Took my healthy cell. And uh, like the next day, it was gone. I woke up gone. So the only thing I can think is that my immune system has gotten very, very powerful in the past year. And it's all because of healthy cell and the immune boost product. So if you're looking for something, take a look at the healthy cell stuff. It's on the network here. Uh, it's all really good stuff. And I like it. And I tell you, if you're looking for something to help yourself feel better, go take a look. This is Lieutenant Joe. We'll be back in a minute with more Chasing Justice. Do you know there's no other 
condition that I'm aware of where vitamins and supplements make such a big difference than COVID-19. We have a, an abundance of data that we need to be replete with a variety of micronutrients, and that includes vitamins, minerals, and other substances our bodies need. I rely on Healthy Cell Super Boost. That's immune super boost. It's a, a gel pack that can be taken every day. I like to do it before I exercise and before I go out. It's a wonderful supplement. It gives me the immune super boost that I need. Go to HealthyCell.com, use the promotional code OUTLOUD, and get a discount on your first order. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back guaranteed healthycell.com code out loud we are fighting the ultimate fight between good and evil americaoutloud.com replaces groupthink with innovative thing well it was walt whitman the poet who said keep your face always toward the sunshine and shadows will fall behind you America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. All right, everybody, welcome back to Chasing Justice. That was nice to hear from the fellows in the neighborhood, wasn't it? It was really good to have uh, Jack and Jim back. Uh, Bill, the man of faith, Dallas, couldn't make it. He got kind of tied up. Unfortunately, as we were rolling, as they say, and, uh, and running the show here, uh, he says he'll be back at a future gathering. Because at this point, like I said, it's nice to have uh, everybody coming back together. The world's getting back together uh, slowly and steady. We're all starting to put ourselves back into a normal rhythm. So the boys in the neighborhood will definitely be back. I like having them on. They have good points of view. They're very interesting individuals uh, as people. And they have a, a pretty good take on what goes on out in the world. So one of the things I want to talk about here was uh, the Biden notebooks that were found in his house by the FBI. Okay, so they go there to recover, I guess, whatever you know, uh, classified documents he had in the Corvette garage, or in the house, or in one of the places. And they found some notebooks that may contain classified information. So how much classified information is out there? Are we overclassified? Is everything the president looks at and sees classified? Uh, and that's just the, the process that we go through. I mean, I understand that there are things the president may have to know about, may comment on, may be involved with other world leaders. That has to remain absolutely confidential and top secret. Otherwise, you couldn't, you couldn't function. I mean, I do, uh, I do threat assessments, right, for people. And I give them a document at the end of that threat assessment. And I tell them, this is confidential material. Don't let this stuff out. Don't let people know uh, the strengths and weaknesses that I found and how you're going to repair them. That's, uh, it's confidential, right? So it's top secret, kind of. So it's just interesting to see um, 
that the president had uh, probably more than just about anybody else, I'm going to say, Biden probably has the most. Now, I don't really know that for a fact. And the only reason I'm saying it is because we see that he is mentally impaired. And he may not even realize he had that stuff there. I, I know the president themselves do not pack up the boxes and carry them to the loading uh, to the to the moving van and then unload them. They don't do that, of course. But I think it is, uh, like I said before, I think it's probably something that they all have. They all take documents with them to remember, write their memoirs or whatever. And there's things they shouldn't have taken that, that, that belong to all of us. And, you know, I guess potentially some stuff could come out. Now, if we found stuff from Warren Harding in his uh, library that were confidential at the time and, you know, top secret, would that change anything today? Now, of course it wouldn't, other than the fact that maybe... Uh, we've had these long, 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 you know, generations long relationships with other countries. What if they were doing something uh, backhanded back then and we knew about it and we allowed it or we did it ourselves, you know? That that could be uh, embarrassing in this future point. But other than that, once you go a few years past the current president, anything that they did or said has relevance to the time. It's like the JFK assassination files. You know, those things are sealed for 75 years. So that the idea is that people who were alive at the time who may be damaged by information coming out won't be affected by it. But the reality is that was a president of the United States who was assassinated. And if we thought it was the mafia, if we thought it was Cuba, if we thought it was the Russians, or if it was an inside job, we should know that. You know, that kind of thing, uh, the death of somebody like that, of an important person, an American uh, political figure, we should know everything about that. Uh, unless, of course, it's an ongoing investigation. So I, I just find this whole classified documents thing to be, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's problematic, but it, it's not the end of the world. I don't think there's any super secrets in there. And maybe there are. Maybe there's nuclear codes that could get out, and I, I guess somebody could do something bad. But I think it's something that they're, they're, all, uh, they're all responsible for. They all do it. I think everybody takes things inadvertently, uh, and, and that's probably that's that. One of the things that it comes to privacy and secrecy is the Paul Pelosi video that came out the, of the day that he was attacked. Now, I think that's a horrible thing that happened to him. His home was invaded, and a guy tried to kill him. Uh, terrible, absolutely terrible. But I watched the video, and first of all, a lot of questions do come to mind, which they haven't told us yet. How did the guy get in the house? Did he knock on the door and threaten Pelosi, and Pelosi let him in? And they had the conversation. How is who, who called the police to tell him this guy was in the house? You know, we haven't heard that part of the situation. Releasing of the video uh, does a couple of things. First of all, what I noticed was that while Paul Pelosi opened the door for the police, like it was reported, he opened the door for the police, uh, the guy, David DePape, I think his name is, had him by the arm, was holding him by the arm while he held a hammer in his other hand. So it seemed to me that um, he had control over the guy one way or another. Now, we know from his statements that he's made, uh, DePape, the statements that he's made is that he went there specifically to, uh, to hurt Nancy Pelosi because he feels she's destroying the country with what she did as, as speaker. Now, I think a lot of people feel she's destroying the country by, by the things, the policies that she did and the way she governed. But that's no reason to attack her or to hurt her. 
you defeat her at the ballot box. You don't you don't hurt the person. So this guy is saying he made a list of these people who have done this, and he was going to go out and uh, visit them, right? I guess you know go go attack them, right? To to strike out for what he perceives they have done. That's that's bad. That's criminal. He should go to prison for that, uh, for the conspiracy, and then the actual attack. But when I watched Paul Pelosi, I watched him uh, stand next to the guy, and as the cops told the 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 guy to drop the hammer, and they started coming towards him. It was at that moment that the pape decides, I better attack Pelosi because they're probably going to arrest me. And that's when he swung the hammer and hit him in the head. So the guy was clearly in danger. Uh, the fact that he, the pape held onto his arm told me he was trying to control him. He had a hammer as a weapon. So, so one of the things that you would do as an investigator, now they probably have statements from people that they're not going to release to us. There may or may not have been a relationship between the two. We don't know. We haven't heard that. It would be good to find out how did the whole event start? How did the guy end up in the house? Where did the hammer come from? How long was he in the house? Who made the phone call to the police to tell them to come on out here? Obviously, when you saw the officers coming, uh, they weren't covering lights and sirens. They weren't screaming as though the guy's going to be attacked. What was the call? What was the call for? Uh, to bring them to the Pelosi house in the first place. Did the alarm go off? What did the video camera show? Oh, the videos were off. Why were they off? Who turned them off? How often are they off? You know, so this is the thing. These are the kind of things where conspiracies are developed when people are not transparent, when they try to hide some facts. Now, you have to say to yourself, what facts could they be hiding? Well, I just gave you a list of questions that I would ask as the investigator. But why would you not want people to know when the guy got there, how long was he in the house? What did they do when they were in the house? Was it a, an immediate confrontation? And did Paul Pelosi hit an emergency button for an alarm? I mean, we don't, we just don't know. And therefore, people start to speculate. And they say, well, they must have had some kind of a relationship. They must have been, he was some, something nefarious with the guy. And then it would, hey, that, could, that could all be true and it could all be all total BS. But when we have a lack of facts... You have a, 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 a void, and that void will be filled by people who will come up with all kinds of things. I just found that, um, having actually seen the video now, they made it sound like, you know, once you see this video, you're going to realize, man, something really strange was going on. And uh, that's half true. I found it strange that he was in the house with the guy, because I don't know how he got in, right? How many times can I say it? But it seemed clear to me that once the police officers saw the guy had a hammer, and I'm sure they saw that he was holding onto Pelosi's arm, you know, they weren't holding hands like boyfriend and girlfriend. It looks like he was hanging onto his, his shirt to keep him from getting too close to the door or running out the door. Uh, it seemed like a control move to me. Uh, as soon as he saw that the police told him to put the hammer down and they started coming towards him, he realized if he was there to do any damage, um, that was his moment to do it. Maybe that was the message he wanted to send. I couldn't get Nancy, but I'll get this guy. And he swung the hammer and hit the guy, almost killed him. Absolutely horrific. So it would be good if we got the rest of the facts. If somebody would, uh, you know, call over to the Pelosi's and say, hey, listen, why don't you just give everybody the facts so we know what happened here? This was not just an attack on Paul Pelosi and Nancy Pelosi's house. Because no matter how much I disagree with Nancy Pelosi's political uh, opinions, she is still a government leader in the United States, and she deserves to be protected and to be safe. 
uh, as do all of our government officials, you know, who are out there serving the people. Now, they don't necessarily serve us. They do their own thing, but they represent us, whether we like it or not. And they should be safe. They should not be in danger from, from crazy people and crackpots that want to come after them. Uh, so what? You don't like their opinion. Vote for somebody else next time. You don't go and attack anybody. I mean, this is what happened with uh, um, our Supreme Court justice, right? Kavanaugh. They, they went, the guy went to his house to try and kill him because of the rhetoric that was out there. So I found that interesting. Now, when me and the boys, we were talking about, you know, uh, Schiff and Swalwell and that, and we, we started touching base on it. But the reality is uh, they were in the news again recently, and, and nobody seems to ask the questions. Why did you lie so much, you know, uh, Mr. Schiff? You want to be Intelligence Committee and you leaked stuff regularly? Everybody knows you were the leaker. Why would we let you back on Intelligence Committee? And I, I thought McCarthy did a good job of verbally fighting back to the reporters who, of course, are all on the side of, uh, of our friends on the left. And they're making this look like this is an unfair thing. Well, meantime, they didn't think it was unfair when Nancy Pelosi kicked Republicans off of committees or when they were chosen by their leadership to be on committees, you know, like the January 6th committee. And she said, no, 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 I'm going to appoint the Republicans that I think should be on the committee. Of course, she picked two anti-Trump left-wing uh, Republicans. Uh, she was controlling the committee. I don't see anybody complaining then. Did you? Did you see anybody complain that the speaker was wielding that kind of power? No. So that'll go back to, uh, you know, Jack and Jim's point about the media and uh, the media being totally corrupt, as so many other things are in our modern society. You talk about what was bad back in the day, and it was. You know, some of the things that happened were bad. But look at what it is today. You're not really free. You can't, re you can't really, you, you can't voice your opinion. You'll get shut down. You'll be investigated. They'll come to your house, right? So it's interesting. Uh, there's a trial going on, and it, it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting trial. There was a, an abortion clinic, and there are laws that say you cannot interfere with the people going into the abortion clinic, with the women going in to get an abortion. Because sometimes the pro-life people would stand out front and they would say things and most of, most of the time they prayed, okay? Most of the time they prayed over people, but sometimes they would, uh, you know, I'm sure some people would shout some things that were uncomfortable or whatever, and that's inappropriate. Uh, someone's going into a doctor. Whether you agree with it or not, it was a legitimate procedure, it was legal, and they shouldn't be interfered with. Um, if you want to protest, like I've said all the time, protest is good. You don't get to disturb people. You don't get to uh, block traffic and all that kind of stuff. They, they could have been across the street with their signs and they're praying and all that's good. Well, what happened here? There was, uh, you were allowed to have an escort, as I understand it. Now, anybody out there listening, following the case, if I got this wrong, I apologize in advance, but this is my understanding. There was an escort uh, bringing a woman to the clinic. Now, they say you can't interfere with the woman, and I agree with that. Even though I don't agree with abortion, I, I agree that if she's going to go there and it's legitimate, it's legal, she should go there without being bothered. Nobody should bother her. Let her go do what she's decided to do. Well, this escort goes in and drops the woman off, and I guess she'll be there for a couple of hours. And then he comes back out, and he's an older man. I think he was in his 70s. He's an older man. He comes out, and up the block a little bit is a group of protesters. And what they're doing is shouting things out like, we'll help you with your baby, you know, don't kill the baby, we'll help you with the baby, we'll get you resources. You know, they're trying to save the babies is what they're trying to do. 
um, and there was a father there with his son, and I think his son was eight years old, a younger boy. And this escort guy comes walking over to them, and he's he's saying things to the kid. He goes, "Your your father, your father hates women. Your father doesn't like women. Your father." Now I, I'm paraphrasing from what I've been told, but he was saying negative things about the father because the father's there uh, protesting this abortion clinic. Well, from what we hear, the escort went back in the building, came back out a second time. Maybe he came out multiple times. I don't know. But one of the times that he came out and he came over to confront the group, and especially this man and his son, and he started saying things, the father shoved the uh, escort guy who fell down, and the father was charged with, uh, with assault. Right? And now it, it's, it's in the trial. It's in the courts. And there's a lot of talk about it. Uh, you know, what's going to happen? Uh, how's he going to be found? And I think the questions that can be broken down, and, and I'm again, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not sure it is, but I've been involved in the legal system, investigative-wise. Is the escort an escort the entire time that the person that they brought there is in the clinic? So is he an escort when he brings her in while he's sitting in the lobby waiting for her? What if he goes out and has a cigarette, if he has a cup of coffee? Is he still an escort? And is he then protected that you, you shouldn't get involved with the escort? Once he walked down to the protesters, did he break that bond of being an escort? And now he's just an individual confronting other people. Uh, you know, is, is, there a, is the fighting words doctrine going to be uh, raised here? Did the father who felt his son was being uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe confronted, maybe he felt uh, in fear for his son, this guy was aggressive, whatever, and that's why he shoved him away. Was it appropriate for him to do that? Or should he have kept his hands to himself and walked away with his son if he didn't want to be confronted? You know, none of us like that idea of having to walk away when someone comes at us. Sometimes it's the prudent thing to do, but nobody really likes to walk away when somebody comes up to you. I didn't do anything. I was just standing here doing my thing. You came up and caused the problem. So this is it. This is at trial now, and we're going to see which one of these issues are going to be raised. Now, I think something that we can all surmise is that if you have a liberal judge, the liberal judge is going to see things through the lens of uh, protection for the clinic, protection for the, for the right of abortion, protection for the, the woman and the escort that they may say, the judge might say, yes, well, you're there as an escort until that woman is released and comes out and you get her home, you're an escort and therefore you're protected the entire time no matter what you do. Or you might see a conservative judge say, yes, you're an escort and you bring her in, that's good. Once you come outside and you start engaging with people, your escort uh, services are either on hold until she's ready to leave or there's no protection for you whatsoever. You were the aggressor when you went up to these people and therefore you're responsible for your actions and you know, did, did your actions cause the father to feel uh, in fear for his safety or his son's safety? And that's why he pushed you out of the way. Did he say things uh, so that the fighting words were were, uh, were invoked and the father felt that he had to do something to keep this man away from himself and his son? I don't know. But it's interesting that these are out there. These things, these kind of cases are out there. And you'd think by now we would have worked this out. You know, one of the things I talk about with the protests and it's okay to protest, but you shouldn't go blocking traffic. You shouldn't get in people's faces. You shouldn't threaten people. You shouldn't do any of those things. You should protest. Hold your signs, chant your chants, say what you want to say, let your voice be heard. All absolutely legitimate. 
no matter what the issue is. That's part of free speech. That's part of uh, redressing the government for your grievances and all that kind of thing. I just found that case to be interesting to see which way it's going to come out because the judge and the judge's point of view um, and the jury, their point of view, uh, will certainly have impact on whether they find somebody guilty or not guilty. So we'll see how that comes out as time goes on. All right, so one of the things I wanted to, I wanted to talk about uh, and it's it's a hard topic, I think, for us to have, but I think we need to take a look at the events in Memphis. Uh, when the five police officers, now six police officers, um, were attempting to arrest a young man and their physical force on him eventually led to his death. I watched the video. It is brutal. It is difficult to watch. It is heart-wrenching to see the young man at one point pepper sprayed, already pummeled, on the ground, calling for his mother. This, this calls out to our hearts as human beings. Where's the humanity that this was happening? Now, one of the things I think the officers properly have been charged, because I, I watched the one officer walk up and kick this guy in the head, while he was laying on the ground, that there's no call for that. There's no, there's no reasoning for that. The guy wasn't grabbing for a weapon. He wasn't about to to kill one of the officers. He wasn't pulling a gun off of one of the officers. He was he was laying there, and this this officer came up and kicked him in the head. And as a police officer, as a person who loves the blue and who has lived it, um, it was very sad and difficult to watch these officers behave the way they did. Now. That being said, um, they're going to get the justice that they deserve for their actions. And I feel bad for this. This, this I wish I could remember his name, um, the young man who died. Now, his mother and his father were absolutely amazing and graceful uh, in their grief to come out and call for calm and to say that they're praying for their son. They're praying also for the officers and the officers' families. Uh, th I mean, that's a that's a pretty big thing to do. That is a, a great example um, of decency. And I, I was moved by that to see that. I can imagine myself, if that happened to, to my child, would I be able to come out and, and be so calm and be able to uh, speak so clearly about how I feel and to offer prayers for the people who did it? Now, I know that's the right thing to do. I don't know that I could do it. Uh, like in many of those kinds of instances. But this, ins this, this whole thing, this whole thing is going to require all of us as a society to decide what it is we want in this modern world from our law enforcement officers. Now, we haven't got all the facts of, of what the call was about, why they were stopping this car, but I can tell you from experience, when people refuse to pull over uh, when people refuse to submit to an arrest, whether they want to or not, whether they think it's right or wrong or not, that has a tendency to amp people up. All right, You get more amped up when you're in a car chase. you got adrenaline pumping. You're trying to stop this car. You're trying to get somebody out. To run up to the car, pull open the door, and then start yanking the guy out of the car. Um, I, I didn't like the way that looked. Um, I've been in those situations where people have committed a robbery and they take off in a vehicle. 
and you finally get them stopped. Either they crash or they finally pull over and they're going to run or whatever. And you run up to the car and sometimes they come out fighting and you have to fight. And that's just the reality of police work. It's never pretty when you see it on film. It's always ugly when somebody resists. Now, there are going to be lots and lots of lessons for law enforcement here. You know, one of the things I teach is de-escalation. I'm an FBI-trained hostage crisis negotiator, and I've created a program for law enforcement for de-escalation techniques. When they realized that the young man didn't have a gun and he wasn't an absolute threat to them, at that point, I would suggest they could have told him to get out of the car uh, as opposed to yanking him out of the vehicle. But I get, again, you got to understand, if you haven't been in these situations, you don't know what, why the person is running. You don't know what they've just done. You might have seen them run a red light, but they just robbed or killed six people, and they think you know that. So there's that element to it. I don't think they, they did a proper job of what they did. Once they got him out, and they did try and drop him to the ground, they did, because that's the right thing to do. People say, why do they have to put him on the ground? Why don't they just... Well, you put people on the ground so you can control them so that they can't fight and kick and, and punch and do all this other stuff and hurt you, the officer, or officers. And it also helps the person that they're on the ground and their movements are limited and therefore you get them cuffed up and everyone's under control. When this young man went down, you know, he didn't immediately lay prone, put his hands behind his back. Now, I'm not blaming him. He's dead. Right? What the cops did was wrong. I want everyone to be crystal clear about that. There's no doubt what they did was wrong, and they're going to suffer for their actions, that they didn't do it differently, that they didn't think, no matter how much adrenaline was pumping. There were several opportunities in there where they could have taken a deep breath, where they could have said, okay, we have to find another way to do this. Now, when you're in the middle of that, it is much more difficult to do that. I'm going to I'm going to say that right off the bat. I've been there when things start to get out of control and things are happening fast and furious and people are moving. But when you watch it on a video, you can clearly see that there was moments that you know, they could have uh they could have done things differently and that young man probably wouldn't be dead today and they wouldn't all be in jail. One of the things that's not going to come out, it's just not going to come out. We're not going to probably well, I, I take that back. We might learn about the background of this young man. Not that that's completely relevant to what they did. What they did was wrong. But why were they stopping him? What, what was the whole reason for the stop? Was it just a traffic violation? I mean, it, it went really crazy if it's just a traffic violation. And why didn't he just surrender? When they said, get on the ground, I did watch that in the tape as well. They said, get on the ground. He goes, I'm on the ground. But he was not laying prone and putting his hands behind his back so he could be handcuffed. He wasn't. And that amps up the activity. Now you got all these officers, and they were, they were big men, fighting with one guy. And you say to yourself, well, why couldn't five guys take control of one guy? Well, there's a couple of things that might have gone on, and I'm not making excuses for the officers. What they did was wrong. I'm trying to look at it from the point of view of having had experience making arrests of violent people and re resisting people and with what I saw on the tape. And when I watched it, the guy didn't lay on his stomach and put his hands behind his back and get handcuffed. He was resisting. He said, I'm on the ground, but he kept trying to get up. He kept moving. Matter of fact, when he had an opportunity, he got up and he ran. He took off. He wasn't submitting to the arrest. Now, is that an extra charge? Yeah. 
is that a death sentence? It's not, and it should not have been. But I think there's lessons here for law enforcement. We're going to have to learn from this incident where, where in that could we have changed the course of things. Where could the young man have changed things in the course of things? What are we telling our young people? Are we telling them they don't have to listen to the cops? They don't have to obey? They don't have to be arrested if they don't want to be arrested? Or are we telling them when you get involved with law enforcement, right, wrong, or indifferent, you do what they tell you to do? You know, I, I, I do pray for this young man and his family. Like I said, his mother and father were, were really wonderful. And it's terrible that this young man is dead. He didn't deserve to die. You know, he didn't deserve to die. So it, it, I, I wanted to bring it up because I'm going to think about it more. I'm going to look at it. But when they keep saying training, 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 they're right. There is training that we can give to our officers on how to handle that rush of adrenaline. You know, over time, when you start out and you're young, you know, you're, you're, you're like a bull in a china shop. But as you get older and you get more experienced, you learn how to do things differently so that they don't have uh, negative outcomes. And that includes dealing with uh, the using of force when it comes to enforcing the law. And I think there's, there's going to be a conversation, I hope, at some point where we're going to learn uh, how we can get better at what we do so that we don't have these tragedies where this young man loses his life and these officers end up in prison. So I want to thank everybody for being here. I have more on my, my pages of outrages, but I didn't get to them. We'll get back to more very soon. Until we meet again, be a part of the solution, my friends, not a part of the problem. This is Lieutenant Joe for Chasing Justice.